0: Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. And joining me is my esteemed colleague, Ryan Ireland. How you doing, Ryan? Hey, how are you? I'm doing excellent. So we figured we should go live now because apparently we've got Ben Croker who's at the gate. He's flying. He's on, I don't know if you know, he's on some fancy island somewhere. He decided that if he's going to write out the pandemic, you might as well do it in style on an island. So he's off the coast of Spain or something like that. And I guess he's flying back. He's about yeah. To board an aircraft. Oh, yeah.
1: It's it's an island he owns, right? He bought it. Is that right? I can't remember. Yeah.
0: Apparently the, the Blitz plugin is just doing incredibly well. And okay. Yeah. Use the proceeds and the profits to buy an island. I mean, why not? So I mean, it's, it's it's what I would do. Well, Ryan, I want to talk. I've got a I got a huge list of things. It's so funny. We sit down to do these, and I'm just like, oh, I don't know if I have anything to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> well, then I start adding these bullet points, and I'm just like, Wow, yeah. I really should like cut down on these. Like, I, I got a lot of stuff here. But so one of the things that I did recently, and my kids, uh, Tyler, really wanted to, to do this. So we got these little Air Tags things. So the you AirTags, got the Air Tags. From Apple. Okay, so yeah. what's
1: your what's your use case for those?
0: Yeah, uh, that took a lot of <laughs> justification, and originally I was buying more of these than I ended up buying, and my wife and I, <sighs> well. She <laughs> kind of shot down some of my, and she's right, by the way, too. Like I had some really dumb ideas for things that I might use them for. But we ended up getting it so that we bought a four pack of them and we got two for okay. the dog. So one for each dog. So yeah. be, And it, it actually is useful because we we live on 17 acres here. And mm-hmm. a lot of times we just open the door and let them out. And when it's like 3.30 in the morning, the most annoying thing is trying to encourage the dog to come back inside. So it'd be nice to be able to hunt them down and, and bring them back in. Yeah. And- The other thing I got them for was really for luggage so that when we're traveling somewhere, we can just throw it on there. And it's like a bright red tag, too. So we can throw it on there to track the luggage. And in the meantime, when we're not traveling, which is most of the time, uh, those tags are going to be on our kids' backpacks so we can track it that way. And I thought you weren't supposed
1: to use them to track people. Why not?
0: I don't remember what the reason was. Weren't you just telling me that that kids aren't people? They're property? I thought you were telling me that.
1: Uh, No, that was not me. Thank you very much. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going on the public record with that. Um, Okay. Don't use air tags for kids. That's what I'm going to Google. Apple says don't use air tags to track your
0: kids. Why? I mean, I'm not going to implant it in them. This isn't like, you know some conspiracy well, theory that- we don't so we
1: don't use. i mean i don't have any air tags just because i'm kind of tired of anyway just tired of some apple stuff but uh <laughs> so i decided not to opt in until
0: i had a real use case for them you decided you're tracked enough and you don't need to yeah. be tracked anymore but we'll,
1: right what we do do is if my daughter so she's 10 10 and a half if she is going out on her bike by herself with some friends, like she'll throw mm-hmm. iPhone in fanny pack or in a backpack or something like that, and we can track that way. I am going to switch her to just an Apple Watch, like a not one I'm buying for her, but a, a leftover one, and that'll work. But I'm trying to look at this thing and see why they, why they, because that way you can also contact them, right? I know that your kids probably. I mean, do your kids go wandering. You're not on the making. You're not stuff?
0: giving me any kind of argument as to why not to do yeah, it. I'm why looking. Can't I, I do don't it?
1: have one personally, but I thought Apple said don't do it. Ch-ch-ch-ch-ch. Anyway. The company designed the AirTag to track items, not people, or pets. If parents would like to safely track their young children, <laughs> the person at Apple suggested an Apple Watch with family setup might be a better choice.
0: Sure. So the more expensive thing. So literally, I'm using this thing for the two things that they say not to use it for. Pets and Well, no, they actually
1: kids. said it, you can do it for a pet. They just have to make sure that their moving pet gets into range of a device in the Find My Network so its location can be tracked. Mm. Oh, right. Oh, here we so go. It, it says, Apple doesn't specifically make clear whether the reason for its stance, this is an iMore I'm article, is one of technical limitations or simply not wanting to be sued when an air tech doesn't do its job one day. Probably the be- latter. Yeah. I assume they're like, it's not really made for this. So, but you said you were going to put it on luggage when you travel again. Are you just going to slide it into like an, the inside of a, a pocket or are you going to actually have it like as a luggage tag?
0: I thought about that. And so originally my idea was a luggage tag. And then I'm like, well, wait a minute. Won't someone steal it? And then I'm just steal like, it, well, yeah. but isn't it pointless for them to steal it? Like, what can they do with it? I, I don't know. Is it is it reassignable to like another iCloud account or not? Actually I don't think account. so. I don't think you can just like take one and then reassign it. I don't think it works like that. Otherwise, right. it would it's like be like a super phone, pointless. right?
1: Where you it has like a IMEI or whatever the device ID yeah. is that never changes.
0: Yeah. So then I was just like, well, okay. Well, then I'll just get a, like a bright colored strap and I'll put it in that on the outside of it, so that'll right. let us visually identify the luggage better too. Anyway, right. I don't know. I, I think it and is. Then you realize
1: that you're in more on straps than you are on the actual air
0: yeah, the whole thing is honestly quite questionable in terms of whether it was a reasonable purchase. Like I, I'm, right? I'm with that. I understand that. And one of the main reasons why I even, it, oh God, I, I do this all the time. It's just so bad. But the only reason I ended up getting them is that I had looked at getting them before. Oh my God! So. <laughs> nevin says that we are life-size on his living room tv <laughs> that's frightening. I'm very sorry i hope you don't have family around nevin yeah take your glasses off it'll look it'll look much better um are you talking about me but, i know i do look better without my glasses no you look smarter with them on oh do i okay yeah Yeah, you look very very intelligent yeah
1: my IQ um, just went from zero to one
0: I said you looked intelligent. I didn't say <laughs> that you actually were, just to be clear. Uh, but yes. so anyway, what I did was I looked at the, buying these AirTags a while, when they came out, and I'm just like, eh, you know what? That's really kind of... I'm not really going to use that. Maybe I just won't get them. And then I had occasion to buy something from Apple. So I wanted to get the new remote. And it's one of those things mm-hmm. where you're just like, oh, well, you know if I'm already buying this, you know, and this one I added it to my cart already and it remembered it for like the next 10 years, you know? So that's it, I ended up doing it, but in general, I don't know about you. I was a little bit disappointed in WWDC because I was hoping that this was a case where I could give Apple some of my cash for something that was really useful. I really was hoping for an M1X or an M2 machine that I could plunk my money down. And then uh, we don't have Patrick, you know, going off on me all the time about how fast and how his how silent his fan is on his M1 and all that kind of stuff. But it's I want a small to,
1: laptop, though, right? You want a 16 inch.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I want the screen size because for development, like for code, it's just really useful for me Mm -hmm. to do that. I have worked on a MacBook Air over the years. I've tried many, many times to like adapt myself to it. And it doesn't work for me.
1: Yeah, I spent when I first went out on my own in 2014, I want to say I spent a year or two on an 11 inch MacBook Air as my main machine. And it was awesome for a lot of things. It's such a sweet size laptop but now like with code like if you have php storm open or any like ide like that it just doesn't work like you're having to constantly open and close panes and stuff like you just really need a lot of space so i'm also Uh. waiting on the 16 inch to be announced so fortunately for me or i guess you know like i'm just like oh like now i'm like I'm spared having to spend the money for another. What, they're probably going to come out with what in the fall.
0: So we'll see. I, I would imagine. I mean, you yeah. know, these these things are going to come at some point. Yep. But were you, were you disappointed? I was disappointed. I was really kind of hoping that they would uh, be well, coming out.
1: Yeah. For for the laptop. I thought some of the software stuff they announced was was really cool. And I wish I had done some prep and brought up some notes here. But the. Yeah, I
0: wish you had done some prep, too, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So I actually started thinking about so all all of like the software and iCloud features they added in, like the thing where like the seamless keyboard and mouse control between a laptop and like Mac and a iPad Hmm. was was super cool. So it seems like they're really working on the they're still trying to fully integrate all of their tools and systems. They definitely made a play. They did some tweaks to Apple Notes, trying to make it a little bit more notion-like. I think they're definitely seeing how people are using note-taking tools now are a little bit different than they had originally intended. I think they're just adding like just enough features to make that that worthwhile for a lot of people.
0: And and RJ is saying that he used the 11-inch MacBook Air for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I get it. Like I said, I tried using it for a long time, even back when I was more of a... A president than a programmer, shall we say? Mm-hmm. Like I was spending more time in in email than I was in uh, in code editors, shall we say? Right. And it just it just never it just didn't do it for me. I don't know. I just didn't do it. And I also found that I wasn't spending a ton of time using a laptop in these like crazy on the go situations. I always had the laptop with me somewhere. You know what I mean right. where it wasn't that big of a deal for it to be a little bit bigger and a little bit heavier. And this is funny. So I'm going to roast Patrick a little bit which is it's kind of it's, it's a kind of unfair, unfair, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> It's unfair because he's not here, but I'm going to do it anyway. But so he's going on and on and on about his M1 Air and he does everything on it. And the best thing about it is that he has one machine. He has, he's, he's living the one machine life. He doesn't mm-hmm. have to worry about syncing between anything, nothing like that. And then he messages me the other day and he's just like, oh, the, the new M1 iPad is fantastic. I use it as a second machine. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, that's really cool. That's awesome. And then I'm just like, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, hold up. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Aren't you like the the one machine, one life guru? You know, and that's like the, the big thing is you don't have to sync anything. And whatever. Anyway, I was disappointed. But yeah, it looks I like mean, so I'm going to like save my money the, for the, a little longer. Go ahead. The iCloud. I mean, yeah, on the laptop for sure.
1: I did enjoy a lot of the iCloud stuff that they offered. The I mean, they're doing a lot of stuff that Chrome and Google have already done for a long time. A lot of the syncing behind the scenes. Yeah, of right. Um, browser state and tabs and, but it's nice. So the nice thing is that the advantage of being fully in the Apple Apple ecosystem is that if you do use all their tools, it all really just works really nicely. Like a lot of people use like third-party podcast apps for listening to podcasts, which I don't understand because Apple has hands down the best experience in both the UI and the syncing. Um, well, it's
0: better now. They they recently redid the podcast. Yeah, no, it's and like it is I, nicer. I
1: will listen to a podcast in my car, come in if there's something I want to continue listening to. I just pull up the app on my iMac in my office here and just hit play and it just continues from where I left off. Like it, it's near near perfect. And then also like we're full in at home on the on the home pod. We have five home pods at home. And so it just what? <laughs> Yeah.
0: That's well, one thing have I one have one never in. bought. I have never bought a home pod oh, home
1: pods. It's easily, easily one of my all time favorite Apple devices. And I know I know that the why they Alexa, discontinue it then? They discontinued the big one, not the minis. And so one thing they announced on at at WWDC
0: for someone is that, who doesn't like being tracked, Ryan, I'm starting to see some holes in the You got the you got a listening outpost everywhere in your house, right? <clears throat> yeah, but it's all done
1: on the chip though, right? They don't they dub, they're doubling down on that with all their new uh, series stuff where they're not even sending I think they're what the some of the new stuff is not even going to send audio up uh, into the cloud. It's going to be it's all going to be Something where they're going to do something and uh, just all on the chip in terms of maybe they're going to do the the audio to text conversion all on the chip. I can't remember what they, but they're they're really doubling down on the security of it. I know that the Alexa stuff is more sophisticated for sure. Like the things that you can ask it to do is way better. But we like the the HomePod is fully integrated into our lives. We use it for the weather in the morning, you know, when school was in, like before school, the, you know, the weather for the, for the next day when we're planning like an outfit or something, we use it for turning lights plan-
0: on. Oh, no, hold on, hold on. I'm not letting that go. What? You plan your outfits? No, no, no. I don't no for my daughter. You. For like, you know, if she needs okay. like what... We- I was gonna say, I've seen what you show up on these live streams. Yeah, I don't yeah, believe no, no, you no, plan um, no outfits. Um, okay. You open right. my
1: drawer, it's basically like a series of craft quest t-shirts. So and then also for turning lights on and off, for setting timers, like we're
0: fully Oh, well, thank God you're spared the indignity of hitting a light switch. I mean, geez. Yeah,
1: or if if my if my if we're home, let's say my wife is out, my daughter's like, you know, I want to call mom and ask her something. You say you just ask ask a you're gonna say hey siri anywhere because the house has so many of them and it'll just call up it basically will use my phone but it'll just call and then put her and we use it for music all the time
0: all right real uh, talk, we'll be sitting
1: ryan. at dinner and there'll be a question like what's such and such what's the capital of such and such and then we'll just say you know hey Siri, what's the capital of um mongolia
0: all right real talk ryan real okay. talk yeah the, the reason why you like siri so much is you you're just happy to have someone at home that listens to you is that right is that the true? Truth. Yeah. That okay. is the truth. All right, I get it. I In, get it. Uh,
1: the uh, <laughs> my our, our daughter's at at sleepaway camp this week, <clears throat> and every morning we write an email to her that they then print out and give her as like camper mail. And one of the things I wrote today is that you know things are normal here. The cat still wakes us up too early, and Siri still listens to everything that we ask her to do. <laughs>
0: ah, yeah. See, I, I knew that. I knew that had to be part. of so will the. So anyway, so, so all
1: of the all of the integration stuff. I love because, and that's the thing that people actually really don't like about Apple is that if you're not in fully, then it it feels kind of broken and disjointed. But I love it. I I I think it's great. I can't wait. Oh, so real quick, on before we'll move on to something else. They announced the the next Apple TV is going to allow you to pair one or more HomePod Minis to it, so you can actually have them as your speakers for your TV. Which is, you know, I have a a HomePod Mini in our TV room. It's just a single one that is basically just for. You know, we play music around the house or something like that. But I have always been, I'll take all the criticism for this. I have always been anti-Sonos. Are you a Sonos household, Andrew? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I i have never liked Sonos from the early days. Like I first started using it in my, uh, when I worked at Happy Cog, we had S- Sonos Systems in the office here in Austin and then one in Philadelphia. I just never liked the app, like the software just, it just always like felt kind of weird to me. I know a lot of people like it. I don't like it. It seems like a doesn't like it it doesn't really do enough. I guess there are a lot of them are Alexa enabled now, maybe? I
0: can't remember. Yeah, we don't we don't use that, but they are Alexa enabled now. Yeah, we we did. So we've got like a home theater downstairs, like a projector kind of thing. And that just has, you know, just like a good sound system installed, like a 5.2 sound system in there. Mm -hmm. And then last year we revamped some of the like the upstairs TV and the one in the barn over here. And I threw in I got rid of like I had a whole like rack. For each one of them, you know what I mean. Right. Like I had a receiver, and yeah. I had this, and I had that, and I had all this, and I got rid of it all. Yep. Ryan, it's all yep. gone. Doesn't make sense. The only thing that I have hooked up to both of the TVs now is an Apple TV, Yep. and I'm using the Sonos stuff. So I've got a sound bar and uh, some rear speakers for it, and it, it's good. I mean, I like it. I don't use the app at all, so I don't know or care anything about that? Yeah. I don't use Alexa for for anything. Uh, but anyway, getting getting back to WWDC, one of my favorite things about watching it was the fact that I was not an Apple developer anymore. And that, you know, like some of the improvements that they made to, you know, all of the various application kits and to the development tools, they all looked awesome, right? Mm-hmm. But what I mean is I as someone who was there originally developing on Motorola 68k processors, <laughs> right? I'm going to date myself, right? I was there for that transition from there to the power PC. Right. So we learned a whole new instruction set, rewrote a whole bunch of code just for that. Then I was also there for the PowerPC to Intel transition. Again, mm-hmm. rewrote a whole bunch of code, had to transition stuff, all that kind of fun stuff. And our our stuff was the type that would break on these transitions. It was not in the the class of apps that would easily then, you know, be recompiled and, and ported over. There's a lot of low level stuff in there. Right. And just watching this, I was just like, like, I'm happy for the M1 and everything, but I'm just so glad that I'm not having to like, mm-hmm. <laughs> report the software again to another processor. I'm thrilled that that is not something that I'm doing anymore. And that's what I took out of it more than anything else. Yeah. In addition Have to you, being disappointed that I couldn't spend any money to, on, on a laptop.
1: Stuff. Have you played with in like Swift at all? Yeah. Okay. Cuz I know they made it's some an, improvements to that and I mean it's It's
0: better it's, than Objective C and it's a yeah. nice enough language yeah. and Well, Objective-C was, I mean... Yeah, I took a a
1: week-long iOS development class in person and a long time, like several years ago. Yeah, and this was before Swift. And Objective-C was, yeah, it just seemed like a lot of
0: work. Well, it was like a lot of languages. C++ was this way originally, too. It was uh, originally a preprocessor. In front mm-hmm. of just GCC and now LLVM or, or whatever. So I don't know, maybe they were constrained to some extent what they were doing. I don't know, all the brackets everywhere, just, uh, I just kind of <laughs> started to. And that's where I started to kind of tune out, to be honest with you, from from that whole ecosystem. Swift is a whole lot better, for sure. But there are some things that are very, very insular about being in an ecosystem like an Apple or an iOS or a Mac developer ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And ironically, what you encounter with web development, because it will encompass front-end, back-end, DevOps, like this huge spectrum of stuff, is actually... More there's more going on. Like there's there's a whole lot more to know and learn than there is if you're gonna be an Apple developer, for instance. And it's a different type of development yeah. too. But it's a much smaller pool of stuff. And it's curated by Apple and it's really well documented and and it moves much more slowly. There's yeah.
1: like you sent me a link for a new build tool today. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it's like how much how much new stuff. So, Andrew, so we're we're live streaming when we're recording this, we're live streaming on YouTube. Have you ever run into any um, YouTube copyright enforcement before?
0: Yes. So devmode.fm is banned in, I believe, North Korea and also in Denmark. Yeah. In Denmark, so, what did you do yeah. to,
1: to the to the Danish?
0: So did you the, hate on
1: IKEA or something?
0: No. The the little uh, the bomb track acoustic that plays at the beginning of DevMode. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. I mean, apparently. There's some ownership claimed of it, but only in Denmark and North Korea. I don't know. It doesn't even make sense to me. But I just looked at it and I'm just like, all right, whatever, whatever. I don't care.
1: So so YouTube has a, like they do a lot of copyright enforcement on music and you can, you can search on YouTube for people complaining about it. But a lot of it is AI driven. So on the other live stream that we do, Craft Quest on Call, I wrote in GarageBand with this keyboard that's right behind me, a little intro song, little theme song. It's all in GarageBand. It's using Apple stock sounds and some loops. And it's something that I constructed and created myself. So I put it up there uh, at the beginning. And immediately, as soon as we were done live streaming, there was a copyright notice uh, (laughs) sent to me. And I was like, what? And then I put up the theme song just as its own video. And immediately, as soon as it posted, there was a copyright. Notice So there's like AI that I assume that runs every time somebody posts something. But the thing is they claimed it to be this song like called Camouflage Girl or something like that. (laughs) Um, And I try to, like, there's a few songs. I try to find all the songs on Apple Music that I have access to that called that. And none of them sound like it, but it it claims to be like the melody is the same. And the melody, I think on one of them was like, just like this synthesizer thing. And are you holding up a You white balancing?
0: I'm seeing if the envelope is as pink as my head. Anyway, continue. I'm listening. uh,
1: The melody on that song that they're claiming is just like the synthesizer. And that's, you know, I have synth in in my song, but they're nothing alike. Mm. And I actually, I disputed it because basically, and I looked it up. Good luck. "You You have full rights from Apple to use those loops and sounds both personally and commercially. Like, uh, there's no restrictions on that. They, they basically pass along uh, full, uh, like, royalty-free rights to that. And I told them when I was disputed, I was like, I can send you my GarageBand file. Like, I created this thing. And I do know that, you know, you can create a song, even accidentally, that is too close to sure. an existing song. And then... Yeah, that is on you to either share the revenue and that's typically what happened. It happened with the Flaming Lips and uh, Cat Stevens, I think, is was the one of the more famous ones. So you can, it, that happens all the time, but this wasn't even close. I thought it maybe was something like that where it just happened to be, because there's only so many notes in Western music and there's only so many combinations of chords. Like it's,
0: it's not infinite. I'm, I'm disappointed that a content creator like you, Ryan, would plagiarize. I mean, I'm just, I find it disappointing. I really do. So
1: what? But what happens here, what the frustrating part for me is that it's like BMI as an example. It's like they're a... a Are a, a, you attacking me? No. Oh, you're Are BMI. talking about no. BMI? No, it's the. It's a music rights organization. I know. I know. Anyway, they they basically have all the rights and the content creators have basically zero rights because they can flag your stuff incorrectly. Yep. And the default action is we flagged it. Basically, if you monetize this video... We're getting either all or a portion of the proceeds from that. Yeah, they just and take you your have money to dispute yeah. it. Yeah. And yeah. if you dispute it, sometimes if you dispute and lose enough times, they'll take your channel down or they'll give you copyright strikes and then take your channel down because you disputed it. So it's really crazy because it's AI driven a lot of it, and it's wrong. It's completely wrong. So anyway, that's my I just, rant. On- I,
0: I think there, what could go wrong, Ryan, the future of AI driven everything, like AI just driving our cars, what could go wrong? It, <laughs> it, seems, it seems like it's solid, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I haven't heard back. They have like 30 days to respond. I'm sure they'll claim whatever and I'll just carry on with my life and give them the four and a half cents that I earned from the song.
0: So I want to switch gears for a second if I could. Yeah. And just talk about what I've been working on lately. And I'd be interested in hearing stuff that you've been working on lately, too. Sure. So I sent you a message the other day saying, I did it. I did it. And you're like, what? What'd you do? I'm like, I successfully didn't do what I was supposed to do today. Like I didn't <laughs> do it at all. So one of the things that I've been working on lately, I've actually been spending a decent bit of time writing JavaScript code for some plugins for Rollup and Vite. So as we talked about on the Craft Quest live stream, uh-huh. you know, we where I wrote the plugin for Rollup that did critical CSS. Then the, another thing that I wanted was to generate the favicons as part of that build process, and I found a plugin that did it, but it it really assumed it was working in a front end JavaScript, not with a server side rendered <laughs> setup. And then also parts of it were broken, or they didn't work as intended. But I thankfully was familiar enough with favicons because. I mean, I'm I'm getting married to all these weird, obscure projects. I did pull requests for the Webpack version of the Favicons Webpack plugin a while back. So I was already familiar with it. And I'm like, no, 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 dude, I know how to fix this. So I'm I'm writing. I did the pull request for that. Unfortunately, he hasn't gotten back to me on anything. So I don't know. I don't know what length of time that I should wait before Mm -hmm. I just say, screw it. And I fork it and I name it something else, you know, because it is it's MIT licensed. I could do that. Right. I don't want to just then you're having so, to maintain that, right? So. Yeah, but I don't care. Like if it's something I'm going to use, like I'm fine with at least keeping it working for me because I, right. I need it. But also, I don't, there isn't a huge obligation. If you create one of these packages, you know, and if for some reason you, you don't feel like maintaining it anymore, just write in it. I don't feel like maintaining this anymore. And if someone wants it, they can come take it. You know what I mean? Right. You, you're not, you're not married to these things, but I've been working on that. And then in relation to that, I've actually also been working on some small plugin updates. So I fixed a, a number of bugs And believe it or not, Ryan, this is going to be shocking to you, but I write software with bugs in it. Don't. Don't tell anybody. Make sure we don't get that out there. But it, <laughs> I know. It, I use the thing.
1: YouTube Live Embed plugin. So we're all familiar.
0: Yeah, that was a great plugin until someone else took it over. And then it just went to shit. It <laughs> it's still in your
1: account. It hasn't been transferred to me. So.
0: Oh, well, I would be happy to to transfer that <laughs> anytime that you like, sir. Um, but So I fixed some bugs in uh, Image Optimize and SEOmatic. And the other thing that I'm doing is as I update these plugins, I'm also updating the documentation. Okay. So not just to update the text of it, but also I'm updating the whole thing to use VitePress instead of ViewPress. So okay. VitePress is kind of lighter weight. It's basically the same thing, right? It is this related takes, to Vite? Yes. I should call it VitePress. Damn it. VitePress. Okay. Yes. So what's the... Rhymes with VitePress.
1: What's the advantage of, of switching?
0: Well, I started using it because I wrote the Vite plugin and I'm like, well, this is dumb. I should be using VEAT Press if on my Vite plugin, like it only makes sense, you know, Right. use one with the other. And then I, I found I actually really liked the way that it works. It's, it's very lightweight and that's all I need. I don't need anything super crazy with this. And I just like the way it worked. I like the way it was quick and all that kind of stuff. So I started converting over using that. And I also found this thing called Textlint, which is really neat. So what it text, is okay. is
1: so wait, is it like a grammar checker
0: or yeah? It, well, it's like ESLint if you've uh-huh. heard of that. Yeah, but for writing and it works yeah. on Markdown files as well as text files. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing about it is it works very similar to ESLint where you can just pick what rules you want. You can just add in whatever rules you want to keep, whatever writing style you like. And you can also set whether they are, whether certain rules are considered errors or they're considered warnings, Mm -hmm. you know, you can set the priority level for these things. And the nice thing about that now is when I do a build of the documentation, it runs it through this thing and it automatically corrects a number of things, right? So I'm, one of the things that I just have as an old habit is I use E period G period colon, EG colon colon. You know no what that stands for in Latin? What is it?
1: Uh, I mean uh, what's the Latin? I don't remember what the Latin is for it.
0: Exemplia gradia or something like that. It's like it's like a free example is, is kind of what it means. Yeah. But it will automatically go in and change that to for example. So anywhere that I oh, use. Well, it won't even this, use
1: the EG. I was gonna say you'd actually don't need a colon after the E. G. But yeah, uh, I know that from writing technical books that the my editor used to always tell me to not use eg you actually have to write out for example
0: is the proper way to do it yeah so that's that's one example of a rule so for example that's one example see little inception here going on and other things are like smart quotes and but so i've got a number of rules that it just automatically applies to the text
1: so where's where where is the like what engine or what's the where is it pulling like the, the rules from or the or the what is it referencing to know when it's parsing through the text to know what's what?
0: Well, there, I mean, they're all so there's a core package and then there are plugins for it that implement these various rules. So you pick what rules you want. I'm not sure what you're asking. So basically there's a huge repo of text lint rules and you can just say, I want this. I want that. I don't want this. I don't want that. And you can set the, the, the level for them and all that kind of stuff. And it also will spit out a bunch of warnings. So stuff that is arguable, like it'll say like, well, this sentence sounds a little passive aggressive or, you know, or don't use the word just, or it's as easy as, or things like that.
1: Oh, uh, okay. I'm looking at the project on GitHub. So it, it's a collection of rules rather than like an... I'm always thinking of like the Grammarly engine, you know, where it actually...
0: Okay. Yeah. So it's a, it's a collection. Of, and what I did is I actually got turned on to this by somebody that he worked on the project and he is also a Vue contributor. And mm-hmm. this is the system that the Vue documentation people use. Ah. And they actually have it set up that it will, (laughs) everything comes in via PR, which is the only way to manage large things like that. Mm -hmm. And it will actually reject pull requests to the documentation if they fail the writing tests that they have up there, which is super cool if you think about it.
1: Yeah. So uh, I like, so, okay. So it looks like the spell checker rule, it can, it just levers like the native spell checker, like NS spell checker. And then it has, this is kind of cool, like text rule stop words. Yep. It finds filler words, buzz buzzwords, and cliches, which is great for mm-hmm. when you're writing to to pull those out. Once I started using because I use grammarly a lot, once I started using that, I realized how bad my my writing had gotten <laughs> over the years, like just like just relying on the same things over and over again. Yep. Or not realizing that you're not being clear, stuff like that. So this is well cool. and
0: that's funny that you mentioned Grammarly. So I'm going to I'm going to continue with the docs, but I want to take a quick tangent. So I had okay. Ben Croker preview one of my articles and mm-hmm. He gave me a couple of comments on it. And then he said, and I found a couple of typos, but I'm sure Grammarly will pick those up for you. And I'm just like, dude, I I don't use Grammarly. I don't use anything. Like, can you tell me what the typos are? And then, you know, characteristic Ben, he disappeared. He probably like, I I imagine him whenever he messages me and then disappears. I imagine that he's on a mountaintop somewhere in Austria and he just plunges Mm -hmm. over the side on his hand glider. You know what I mean? And he's gone. So that cost me money because (laughs) I signed up for this Grammarly thing. And you can sign up for the free tier, but then they do this really smart thing where they say they put a little badge on it and they say you're you know we found five other ways you could improve this thing. But and it's I'm premium. like, what are they? Like yeah. tell me what tell me what those five are? Like damn it! <clears throat> and then I I ended up buying the I don't know, I think it's called the pro. It's the first pay tier. It's nothing too crazy. that's what I have. I I bought that. And then Ben comes back to me. I'm like, Ben, you cost me like 140 bucks a year, whatever ends up being. And he's just like, oh, I just use the free one. I'm like, okay, that's. So the the
1: paid one is actually where for me, the the real value is because it it finds the stuff that really makes my writing clear. And grammarly can be a little controversial if you're using it, you know, because they are sending, like they are processing your text and stuff. Like I'm writing like technical articles and and stuff like that. It's not a it's not a big deal, but I've gotten a lot of value out of it for sure. So and having worked with a professional development editor and copy editor, this is a super affordable compared to that so those people are expensive invaluable well here's um, what i
0: wonder though ryan so and i'm using you know this as part of the documentation and because it's technical writing mm-hmm. like i'm totally cool with it auto correcting a lot of this stuff and the yeah. warnings when i have time i will go back and maybe look at rewriting some of those maybe not you know whatever if i was doing creative writing i don't know how much i would like it because and not necessarily the text lint but rather something like Grammarly, because doesn't it inevitably make everyone sound like They're using Grammarly, you know what I mean? Doesn't it kind of neuter what might be interesting or unique about a voice when they're writing? Like, I can't imagine if you ran Ulysses, for instance, through Grammarly, like it would probably go crazy, you know?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that's one of the criticisms of Grammarly and tools like that. It it does homogenize people's uh, how people sound like and takes away the voice. You wouldn't have. Think about the breakthrough that Hemingway made in
0: in fiction writing. Getting As drunk he, in bars in Cuba? What are you talking well, about? Well, I mean,
1: just like his whole style, right? Was like so, yeah. it, it was completely new. And, and, yeah. Maybe that's harder now, but I don't think that fiction writers are probably using Grammarly. It's definitely more for business writing. But in Grammarly, you can set like what your target audience is or what your target style is, and then it will, uh, you know, appropriately apply filters and rules to that. But for sure, I, I think that you, you don't want to, you know, have your voice. Like there's the whole conflict between Strunk and White, which is like the classic like writing manual. And there's another one called, I think, Spunk and Bite, which is like a, you um, know, I-
0: Nah, I'm leaving that alone, Ryan. Like
1: break, break the rules. Like it's an actual book. I'm like a break. Okay. I have both. I have it. That's not, it's not here in my office, but it's like a break the rules. Push the envelope with your writing. Be creative. Have your own voice. Not yeah. like don't sound like everyone else. Um, but yeah, because otherwise
0: it's like the gray goo. Like okay, you yeah. could eat like this gray goo that pours from a spigot, and it could have right. all the nutritional content that you need. But but is if that like what you documentation
1: want? though, like you want that yeah. to be. Clear and yeah. accessible to as many people as possible. Not like there was going to get this guy back in the Ruby world called Y. W-H-Y was his, his name. And he always had like great like tutorials on Ruby and they were very y Y S. They had his whole personality and they're kind of, you know, talking about bacon and stuff. And it was fine, but you wouldn't want to write a technical book in that manner. Yeah. Although he might have uh, anyway. Yeah, so yeah so I, didn't, I, didn't, I
0: forgot that you were on Grammarly, so yeah,
1: Grammarly world.
0: So that's part of the the documentation stuff that I've been mm-hmm. doing, and then also it, it has a nice integration with Algolia, so that all mixes in. Yeah, And then what that's I cool. did the other day that is not what I was supposed to be doing, or at least not what I had kind of mentally scheduled for myself to be doing that day, right. was, I so I had just been using VitePress with all the defaults. Literally just grab it, run it, spit it out, and then just use whatever is there. So I'd done zero customization to it. And it looked fine. Like it looked nice. You know, there's nothing wrong with it. But I was going to write an article on it to kind of finish up this trifecta of plugin development articles that I wrote in terms of, I wrote one on a local dev environment and showed people how they could spin their up, up their own Dockerized local dev environment. And then I wrote one on using Vite as a build chain for plugin development. And Mm -hmm. then I wanted to write this one on documentation. I'm like, you know, as long as I'm writing this on documentation, and this gets back to what we have talked about many times in terms of in order to teach something, you have to know it really well. I figured if I was going to write this article, eh, I should probably look into what it would take to actually customize the look of it, even though I didn't really need it. Like I didn't really care that much. Mm -hmm. So I looked into it, and one of the reasons I didn't look into it sooner is also just Vpress is a work in progress, so the documentation is also very much a work in progress. So they basically say, any customization should be done in your theme, and then that's it. There's like no documentation on how to do a theme. But I ended up, you know, it's one of those things, like we've talked about, it wasn't as hard as it, as it really, as I thought it might be. So I ended up doing a custom theme, which all it does actually is it takes the default theme and it injects that and then it overrides and adds a couple of small things to it. So... I changed the primary brand color. So it's got the um, NY Studio aqua color is used as the focus outline and it's used as the link text and all that kind of stuff. And then I also wrote a little view component that puts the logo in the lower right corner. And both of these just to demonstrate like the, the type of things that you can do. But they're also niceties for the documentation. So that's another thing that I've been doing. And so as I've been updating these plugins and adding bug fixes to them, I've also then been moving them over from ViewPress to VPress and pushing those out. So I think I'm up to like, I think five or six of the plugins are now using that. Nice. And then I submit them to Algolia Doc Search and I wait for them to get back to me for an API key <laughs> so, that, so that they're searchable up there. Yeah, right. But that, that's another thing that I, I've been working on. What, how about yourself? What have you been up to, sir?
1: What have I been doing, Andrew? Um, I've been extending on, for for CraftQuest. I wrote the beginnings of a plugin to extend it to allow myself to offer discounts, like coupons hmm. that are created in Stripe for subscriptions. So, hold on,
0: hold up, hold up. Yep. Wait a minute. Yep. Wait a sure. minute. You're okay. telling me that Commerce is at version three point two or whatever it is, and it You're does not offer me. coupons for subscriptions this is seriously Correct. like uh, uh, like does it offer coupons for for regular purchases
1: yeah yeah for the like the cart-based okay. purchases yeah it's always had
0: uh, coupons. But no subscription stuff but no coupons but for, for subscription stuff at all what about vouchers
1: uh no uh josh crawford from verb has a voucher plugin that does that for standard cart-based purchases but uh, i don't believe it's so, i think you actually looked recently i don't think it so how
0: it was. is anyone supposed to run a subscription business ryan if there are no coupons and no vouchers i'm serious question serious question. well
1: i mean it's been you know there's an issue for it and it's been in github for commerce it's just it hasn't been something that that they've that they've tackled i don't know because it's a common i don't know that 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 many people actually use commerce for subscriptions i mean there's some because there's people that you know are asking for this and saying you know hey this is, is it like a chicken basic-
0: and an egg though is it because they don't use it for it because it doesn't it have this stuff
1: it could be i mean like offering a discount for a subscription like first month i mean you can do tr- they have trials so there's you can definitely use trials in commerce subscriptions already that's that's been there I, probably from the beginning. But let's say like, you know, second month free. You can't do that currently. Mm. But you can do it in Stripe. Like you can say, I mean actually you can't because you, you don't require a coupon. But you have to so so what I had to what I had to do was just write the ability to pass a coupon along to when a, a subscription request is sent to create a subscription into Stripe and then it just looks to see that that coupon Already exists in the Stripe system because Stripe does all of the the logic for the coupon, when to apply it, how long to apply it for, whether it's product based or customer based, and I just had to just write the little bit to to kind of tie those together, and then I just ended up this turned into like a whole a whole thing.
0: <laughs> so, but I, I ended it's amazing up just, to me. I mean, back in twenty thirteen, CartThrob. So I've been involved in some subscription based yeah. oh, services old here, yeah. and CartThrob had something for discount coupons for subscriptions in 2013. Now, granted it didn't work. Like I had to, I had yeah. to write a, a plugin to fix it, but then we used, um, we switched to dev demon subscriptions, so, which is a plugin from, uh, what's his face. Um, God, I, I honestly, am forgetting his name, but the guy who ran Trump's stuff or whatever. Yep. What's his name? Brad Parscale. That's it. That's it. So that was his company is my understanding. I, I didn't correct. know any of this. I didn't know any of this at the time, but that actually worked. That actually worked pretty damn well. It had coupons and you could have discounts. And because one of the things we did is we would run a uh, Black Friday sale, you mm -hmm. know, every year, and we would have discounted coupons for that. And we would have grandfathered stuff that we needed to adjust the price. And this seems like vital for running any kind of a subscription business. The difference, I think, with that implementation, though, is that it was
1: all handled on the commerce software side. Yeah. And that's how the, the discounts and stuff work in commerce. like your standard cart based stuff is that it yeah. commerce handles all of it. it's not synced up into stripe what i'm doing is i'm using the coupons that are in stripe because that's where for me at least is where all the value is is in what stripe has built it's a it's a world class com- like platform for payments but it also allows you to do so much more it's where my plans are run all through stripe so i can see some of the the challenges from the craft commerce team because they're even though commerce subscriptions only supports stripe as a gateway right now yep their whole stance is is trying to be gateway agnostic they're trying to you write your own gateway plugin right so you can use whatever you know worldpay or whatever but, but and if you want to use subscriptions on another gateway you have to write that plugin they only support out of the box stripe
0: so right, real talk Ryan real talk does it make sense Go ahead. Mm -hmm. You had something you want to say first? I just wanted to say just
1: real quick is that even if they came out with commerce side coupons and stuff like that, that only Mm -hmm. were on the commerce side, it still wouldn't be as appealing to me because for me, the power is all of what's happening in Stripe. All the logic you can build in Stripe is where the the power is. So there would still have to be is kind of what I'm chasing is that integration between the two. But anyway, go ahead with your question.
0: So my real talk question is... What Mm -hmm. value is commerce bringing you and would it make more sense? To just use a plugin or some something else, and just talk to Stripe directly. I, I mean, if Stripe is driving the subscriptions, mm-hmm. you want everything in Stripe. Where what value is the commerce layer bringing to the table for you?
1: Well, for sure, when I first built CraftQuest in twenty eighteen, we actually just crossed three years. I think this year, uh, this 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 week is that I was able to. Because so the original idea was to build it in Laravel. Is it Spark? Is that their yeah? I can't remember. You got but anyway. That was that was the original idea, but then I decided to use Commerce and Craft Commerce was two was still in beta with subscriptions. And because of the the time to market, I could get live with the training and the subscription site much quicker, lower cost than I could have. Now there's been some trade offs as I go, but for sure I was able to plug into craft as a content management system with the commerce piece and then it kind of manages when some an event happens in Stripe that triggers a webhook that hits craft, commerce, and then does something. Maybe it changes It changes somebody's status
0: in their account or something like that. Yeah, like Mark Bushnelli is saying, Busnelli, I always pronounce it. I'm sorry. <laughs> you told me how to pronounce it last time, and I still don't know it. Bussinelli, Bussinelli, something like that. It says, like Snipcart, we just did something very, or not even, I say we. I was involved, but I didn't really do any of the work. We converted that poker site over to use Chargebee. Mm-hmm. Now, Chargebee sounds like something that would be fantastic actually for a business like yours, not mm-hmm. just for, you know, that it would handle all this recurring stuff for you, but also that it provides all sorts of tools and insights into your churn and all that kind of stuff. Have you thought about moving it from, or is the benefit of using commerce that you're fooding the craft ecosystem so that, you know, yeah, that helps your and, business. And, and that too.
1: definitely came into play. Like if I'm teaching that topic, it's kind of nice to be able to have, when I'm cool. working on new features for the site, Yeah, I'm thinking of and ideas for for things that I that, that I could teach, or something might come up that that feels like a, a teachable thing, and then it keeps me in that ecosystem. But I think the majority of the people I think that are using commerce are using it for cart based stuff, Agreed. not not for subscriptions. Although for the price of what you pay for commerce and the the speed at which I was able to go from nothing to market, no, granted, like that doesn't include creating the training material because I had so much already, but just like building out the site. It was fast where I couldn't have paid myself or anyone else that small amount that it is for the license to get me, you know, kind of up to speed. So with all the trade-offs, I just try to see it as it's an opportunity to work with Stripe, but yeah, it's, it is what it is. Nothing's, nothing's perfect. I do wish they had built into discounts, you know, and I assume that they, maybe other things are higher up on their list than, than just the discounts for, for subscriptions. So they'll probably do it now, now that I've done all this work, they'll probably do it now.
0: Well, I mean, I personally think that what you should do is you should develop this out into a a nice product and you Mm -hmm. should sell it. You know, I mean, that's what I would do. And then you've got you also could do video series on, you know, what it's like to build and market a plug. Right. You could definitely do that. I just, I don't know. I mean, every now and again, it makes sense to take stock and say, well, is this still the right tool for what I'm doing? And I I guess because it keeps you in the ecosystem that probably where you might be tipped in another direction, if that wasn't the case, because it keeps you in the craft ecosystem, it probably makes sense for you to stay there for this, right? Yeah.
1: So let's say I was building another training site on
0: Python or something like that.
1: Then I would probably explore another way of doing it with commerce, Uh, you know, for for commerce, not with a commerce plugin, but for the commerce piece. Because
0: that's what we did. We looked at it and we said, yeah, I mean, we could do this in commerce in theory, but what are we really gaining? Because when when the site was first created, one of the reasons why Cartthrob was appealing was we had these designs where we might be selling merchandise and there might Mm -hmm. actually be a cart where stuff would be sold and that type of thing. And that just never actually ended up happening. So it didn't really matter that it could do that. If we knew what we knew now back then, we would never have chosen that, you know, and we, we would have switched and, and done it a different way. And yeah. Chargebee, at least for their business, ends up being a way better way to manage this. You know, it, it lets someone that specializes in doing the subscription thing do that. And, he, you know, they get new features, new reports. They get all this stuff all the time. And it, it works out really nice for them.
1: Yeah. And you asked about like reporting and stuff. And there's no, that's another, that's another thing that's kind of left out on the commerce, on craft commerce is good reporting for yeah. subscriptions. Yeah. So you have to rely on the reporting that you get in your Stripe dashboard, or uh, I use a tool called bare metrics Yep, that gives you, it's nicer than the Stripe stuff. The numbers are a little bit different. So the, the weird thing is with, with subscription products is that every tool kind of calculates the numbers slightly different, um, especially when it comes to what what's called MRR or monthly recurring revenue. Some people reduce the MMR when something when somebody cancels but they haven't churned out yet, which means that they're they're still active, but they've canceled. And some people don't do it until they churn out. So you basically you just choose one thing and say, this number's kind of in the range, but the main thing is which direction am I going to
0: kind of work all out. this jargon, Ryan? Well Nevin says uh, it reminds me of all the work we did on subscriptions and in Chargeify because Stripe didn't have the features. Mm-hmm. But if they did it now, they would just do it directly in Stripe, you know. And that's Stripe, what is, am-
1: Stripe is amazing, and it's yeah. it's like strangely like so straightforward when you like mm. read like oh that's all I have to do. So I don't think it's particularly difficult if if you can code to to and you have a simple like subscription implementation, like just to have it send your app webhooks when something happens. It's just what commerce does. Like it's yeah. the um, I just get the full integration with you know I'm already managing the the training content there so and you know you get the user account stuff like you get it just made sense at the time and it's okay. good it's good it's good for the topic of the site to be all and on the system as well
0: yeah and that makes sense i agree and one, one thing i wanted to claw back to about the been spending a bunch of time doing javascript development stuff mm-hmm. uh, it's amazing to me how different some of the norms or what seem to be the norms for programming in different ecosystems seem to be Okay. Um, I actually remember when I first started reading or uh, writing PHP, I had a, a bunch of people that were just like, what the hell are with your comments? You know what I mean? Like I, I, they were looking at the comments that I wrote and they're like, this is insane. So I was writing C style comments. I'm like, mm, we you talking about this is how we do it here in land," you know? Right. Right and unbeknownst to me, it's because they were using these automated tools that would generate the doc block comments and all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. That is something that is so different in the the JavaScript ecosystem versus PHP is you open up even pretty big library code and you don't see any kind of uh, JS doc blocks on the functions. Like you just don't Mm -hmm. see them. You don't see them documented with the documentation in there. And I, I think it's really, it's curious and it's interesting to me because, and I don't know how much of it is, where i am in the php ecosystem so i'm looking at stuff from uh, you know craft yi that kind of stuff where it's super documented in terms mm-hmm. of the doc blocks maybe in other places it's not but man it is rare that you find a javascript project that has that kind of doc- commenting in there on the doc blocks so you just don't see it is
1: that is that like a a community style thing where that you're i mean there's like that 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 There's a there's thinking a a mentality that you your code should be written clear enough to where you don't have to like overly like over document is that maybe the bullshit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, it is comments are not for not necessarily for saying this line does this, this line does this. Mm-hmm. Therefore, pointing out the non-obvious things and therefore giving you the overview that maybe a particular reading the code doesn't give you. But then also having like a doc block is really useful because you can just hover over a function and you can see what are the parameters that are being passed in right. and all that kind of good stuff. And I don't know, I'm not saying, it just was very strange to me. Now, granted, A huge part of the JavaScript ecosystem is getting into using TypeScript, which I'm all for. I love my charcuterie boards. Like I'm totally on board with using TypeScript. And that sort of does force a little bit more documentation in there. But still, even libraries, I found that they have types and the types are very well documented. You go anywhere into the code and there's very, very little documentation that is in doc blocks or even inline in the code. And I don't know, man. I mean, I've been... Writing code for a really long time. When I first started out and thought I knew everything, I, I thought that way where I was just like, oh, well, you know, if you don't understand the code, you're not good enough, or mm-hmm. you didn't write clear enough code, or whatever. I look at it now and I'm like, that's just bullshit. Like you you have to write stuff from the point of view that you're not the only one who's going to be looking at it. Lots of different people are going to be looking at it and anything non-obvious should absolutely be documented. And then also a something that documents, not just that there are parameters and not just what the types of those parameters are, but also how they're used is super useful in terms of getting people to use your stuff. Yeah. I, mean, I was think just that struck I'm, by the difference. I'm,
1: I'm, I'm new to the code base and I'm just dropping in to debug something or understand something, and give me some like some help with the wayfinding here. Like, give yeah. me some. Like, give me like I need a map to to understand what you're like what's going on here. And that and it may
0: have to do with the pace. Like the 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 pace of the JavaScript ecosystem is really quick. There's lots of mm-hmm. turn and but still. I think at some point there's going to be code that in one form or another, you're living with it for years and you Mm -hmm. should have some of that documented, I think, because if you're constantly just writing it and throwing it out, I don't know. I think it might be a little bit too hasty, but I was, I found that interesting. It's not like it's a, I'm not saying one is better than the other. One is bad. The other is good. I'm just saying it's something that I noticed in doing, jumping from ecosystem to ecosystem. And I I noticed it when I jumped over to, to use Go and to write stuff in go like there are definitely norms and conventions that are very different is One that the are things they more pro
1: docbox style commenting or what's their what's their approach
0: well, one of the biggest differences I noticed in Go is that testing is actually built into the language. It's not uh-huh. a third-party product or whatever. Right. And I think that influences how people end up then writing their code in Go because it, like literally you just write test blah and it tests whatever that function is. Mm-hmm. And it's super integrated into the language. And it's just, it's interesting to me how, again, these languages can be like little tide pools, you know, one, one yeah. little tide pools over here, another little tide pools over there. And they're both objectively just pools filled with water and, you know, creatures living in it but the way that they adapt and the things that they do can be quite different i mean it's yep. all it's all very similar as well but just like the little differences like you know from pulp fiction you know it's like oh you're to europe so little differences you know they eat the they eat mayo with their fries and stuff like that you know what i mean <laughs> that kind of thing you well, know? wow,
1: Pulp Fiction reference. You're dating yourself, yeah.
0: Andrew. Well, it's, look, I, I date myself just by showing up on camera, Ryan. Come on. <laughs> I think that about wraps it up for another episode of the devmode.fm podcast. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you subscribe, tell a friend, watch us live. Then you can ask some questions and interact with, with us on here, you know. We'd really appreciate it. For the devmode.fm podcast, I'm Andrew Welch. And I'm Ryan Ireland. And thank you for coming on, Ryan. And we will talk about uh, your issues with spunk later on. Okay, see you. Thank you. All right.